Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. And for those of you who follow us on social media, may have noticed something interesting. At least I've noticed, if you follow Tiffany in particular, much of Tiffany's social media presence this week has been about how glorious Rome is when there's no tourists there. And it's all beautiful pictures of Romans enjoying Rome. And if you've been paying any attention to the news, you know that that is about the opposite of what is happening uh, over here in the United States. I decided to invite a very special guest on the show to talk about it with me today. Casey Martin, he's a reporter for KUW Public Radio. And for those of you who uh, donate on Patreon or participated in our share you also know Casey Martin as the brilliant radio producer that brought you the Truth or Dare episode, <laughs> or at least helped me in my dares. Uh, Casey, thanks so much for being with us. Katie, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So can you, for people who are maybe not in the United States or not in Seattle specifically. We're going to take a Seattle look at this, by the way. This is a nationwide thing that's going on, but we're going to look at Seattle because that's where we are. Casey, can you give a snapshot of what is going on in the United States right now and in Seattle specifically? Today is the one-week anniversary that a man named George Floyd was killed by police outside of Minneapolis. And within this one week, protests have erupted everywhere, all major cities in the U.S. And the Black Lives Matter movement is strong. It's very vocal here in Seattle, here in the Pacific Northwest. And so for the last three days, starting on Friday night, there's just been continued protests, most of them rather peaceful, but uh, a few protesters have clashed with police and we're just seeing a lot of physical violence between, again, a small handful of the protesters and police. Here in Seattle, yes. yeah, that really came to a head on Saturday night for sure. Yeah, so I should mention that we're recording this on Tuesday, um, just for those of you who are keeping track of the dates. Uh, or no, we're not. Yes, it is. What day is this? We're recording this. Story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should mention that we're recording this on Monday, even though it's coming out on Thursday. So for those of you keeping track of days, the big first day of protest, you were downtown. And like you mentioned, it was largely peaceful for much of the day. It was thousands and thousands of people marching taking over the freeway and actually doing that peacefully. And then, like often happens when you have a major protest, some fringe elements get involved and change the whole dynamic of the thing. What was the scene like on that big first night? Can you kind of paint the picture for those listening that didn't see what went down? Yeah, absolutely. So the center of the Seattle protest was in this area called Westlake Park, and it really is kind of this the center heart of downtown Seattle. It's just a few blocks away from Pike Place Market. It really just feels like this the center hub where so many protests and gatherings happen. And on Saturday, again, there was supposed to be a scheduled event starting at three o'clock for Black Lives Matter participants. And it was largely very peaceful. There were families and kids. I interviewed a whole bunch of moms who brought their kids. They were very passionate about protesting police brutality, protesting racial injustice. I talked to people who said, we're not here to clash or fight with police or do any property damage. We're here to peacefully assemble and to protest what we're seeing police do. So if you imagine this city park just full of people, as you said, thousands of people had been marching all day, 
people of all ages, young and old, again, very peaceful, made their way to the very center of Westlake. And there was going to be speeches and prayers and music. But before that event even started, already tons of people showed up and they were not there to hear the speeches or anything like that. They were there to clash with police. Uh, Many had come with backpacks. I saw people pull out uh, rocks out of backpacks, also glass bottles. They were there to antagonize police and eventually started throwing stuff at the police. So if you imagine, there's thousands of people there that, again, were there to just peacefully assemble March for Black Lives Matter. And then pretty soon you had walls of police, entire lines of police blocking off the streets in full riot gear as they were clashing with, again, some of these protesters, some of this fringe element that you talked about. So before the event even started, that's when the first flashbang grenades went off in downtown Seattle, which completely caught me off guard. I had a feeling that Eventually, the tension would rise and there would be flashbang grenades. But I was interviewing a mom and her two young children, one of them was six years old, when the first flashbang grenade went off just less than a block away from us. So that was very, very scary to have all these families, young kids running away from the sudden outburst of violence. And then from there, it just completely devolved uh, for the rest of the night for hours. Rest of the night for hours. Yeah. And by devolved, Derek and I were actually watching this live on local news TV, uh-huh. which is an interesting thing you get to do every now and then in Seattle. Seattle's had a couple of really amazing events like this where the newscasters get caught downtown and all of a sudden you're just seeing things on television that they would never allow on TV, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. normally. Yeah. And a lot of that was exactly what you're talking about, the violence, but not only the violence, but people burning out cars, people smashing through windows and throwing stuff to other people on the street, like looting the stores or trying to break into jewelry stores. I mean, you saw all sorts of things like that. And yeah, and I felt like the news, at least the television news, which was trying to be very cautious and uh, respect the danger that the reporters were in, kept cutting away at the most interesting moments. <laughs> I thought I could be like, no, don't go to that other guy. What are you doing? Cliffhangers. Um, <laughs> but what was it like for you to be in the middle of that melee? I mean, once it gets chaotic. Yeah, absolutely. And I keep using that word. And I, the other word is it. eventually it really felt like a riot. I mean, I, I've covered so many protests, so many marches, a lot of, of events like this. But I have never seen just the amount of people uh, who were there to, like I said, really interact with the police. They were not there to march. They were there to get a rise out of the police for sure. Taking over I-5, I I covered shortly after Ferguson, Missouri in 2015, protesters tried to take I-5, police blocked them off. On Saturday, thousands of people poured onto I-5 in the middle of traffic. And at the same time, while I was standing on I-5 in between the cars, you could hear flashbangs downtown Seattle. Also, you could smell tear gas from just south of us. So it was just constant chaos. People were completely spread out. There was not a singular centralized area where everything was happening. And as you said, I I was right in the Mm -hmm. middle of this large crowd of people that suddenly tear gas is being, you know, shot into the crowd or there's a flashbang grenade. We try to get close and we cover everything for the news. If somebody yells something at a police officer or pushes them, that police officer would start shooting pepper spray at the entire crowd, everyone who's standing in that vicinity. So this was just for hours from about three o'clock until until dark. 
nighttime, that's when Washington State troopers showed up and armored trucks. That's when storefronts started getting destroyed. And I had never seen any of that. The storefronts to see Macy's and Nordstrom's and the car fires. Uh, you're breaking up a little bit. Oh, sorry. I had never seen any of that. So, yeah, j- just like you're saying, for, for people who are watching at home, uh, th- this was something completely new and at a whole new level than what I've seen out of other political unrest or other protests. There's a historical moment in Seattle that people often referred to as the battle in Seattle, which was when something very similar to this happened back in 2001 when uh, the WTO was meeting in Seattle and thousands of protesters took to the streets and it devolved into anarchy. And um, I, I was in my, I was in my, I don't know, probably like 22, 23 years old during that period of time. Derek always says that I can't really compare the two events, but I think it's hard not to in a way. Yes, they're fighting for different things. And I think the kind of fury that's within these protests, the sense of injustice is different than what was happening during the WTO protests, I think. But but I remember what it was like to have the crowd all of a sudden stampede and have all the tear gas and, you know, have it, you know, the police trying to push you out of downtown using tear gas and rubber bullets and just how terrifying that was, but also like how much it charged up your adrenaline. And I felt like with that experience anyway, that the week shifted where it began being about protesting the WTO and their policies. And then it shifted to a battle against the police. And then it shifted to trying to reunify around all of the protesters who had been arrested. But I felt like people kept going downtown in part because it really felt like you were a part of a moment. But from from my perspective now, watching this and actually largely staying away from it, I found it to be much more depressing that this is what happened. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been comparing it to the battle in Seattle, the WTO, especially because we're on the third day of these protests and Seattle police started firing rubber bullets on Friday night. Of course, Saturday was just the the huge melee of tear gas, pepper spray, police cars set on fire. And then yesterday there was another peaceful protest, Westlake Park again. It was a smaller crowd, but still a few thousand people there. They had marched from Westlake to Seattle City Hall. And after about an hour of marching, there was another little skirmish and again, flashbangs. So that's three days in a row that we typically don't see out of these kind of protests. And I think that's why people are comparing it to the battle in Seattle is that this is not a one day event. And there is this energy when the rallies end at night, they always say, see you tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. And so far they have been. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they've spread from Seattle to the Bellevue East Side area. So you definitely get that sense that there there is this moment right now. And I think for a lot of people seeing that, watching it devolve into chaos, watching it to see all this destruction, you know, there's Black Lives Matter activists who I saw encouraging other other people to not destroy property, to not be stealing anything. Uh, there, there was a group of young white men, fully dressed and all black, who were dragging dumpsters and, and all kinds of like uh, newspaper machines and stuff into the middle of the street. And Black Lives Matter activists yelling at them saying, no, you know, no, please don't destroy. Don't perpetuate this image that we're trying to destroy the city or burn the city. And I think the biggest takeaway from these protests, the George Floyd protests, have been people want to get their message out. They want to speak out against racial injustice and police brutality. And then there's certainly another element that is looking to cause a little bit of destruction, to get that message 
out there and have it be a little bit more visceral with smashed out windows and spray paint everywhere and, and, and throwing bottle rockets at the police and stuff like that. So there's definitely a divide and there, there's certainly a ton of momentum as people keep showing up in the thousands so far three days in a row. What about the virus, Casey? Why do you think people through, I mean, we've been being so good about staying apart from one another. This is probably going to be like a match struck across the entire country. I have no doubt that we'll probably see many, many more lives lost because of all these protests. Why do you think people turned out in spite of that? Yeah, you know, I, I did talk to people who were there and I asked them, are you concerned for safety? And reminding them that there is still a global pandemic going on. And most people said that they were masked up, that they felt that they <laughs> that they were safe enough with the mask. And as you said, a lot of people kind of just threw caution to the wind. I, I, I think, unfortunately, before these protests began, mask wearing and social distancing has been kind of waning in the United States. It's getting nicer and warmer outside. We've done reporting here in Seattle that people are just kind of fed up with the quarantine and staying inside. It's They want to get outside. And so it came at an unfortunate time that people already were starting to try to get back to normal. They were already starting to ditch their mask and already going outside and going back to work. So I think it came at a time that unfortunately, when you have thousands of people packed into a very small area, shoulder to shoulder, I'm crammed with people. Uh, people are yelling and screaming, a lot of saliva in the air. You would have no idea that there was a global pandemic going on yesterday as, again, people were just running through the streets and there was no sign of anyone really taking any precautions. Uh, certainly no police were wearing any face masks. Hmm. I kept thinking about that all day as people kept saying, stay safe, stay safe. And I, I was wearing, of course, a face mask, not for the tear gas, but for coronavirus. And I, it, it was really weird to be down there and to see that after months, months of people being very careful and spreading this message of looking after one another, that the passion and energy of these protests, whether it was for Black Lives Matter or whether it was for causing a fight with the police, COVID was back in the mind for sure. Hmm. Are you worried for your own health? Absolutely. I, I It was really difficult preparing how to go down to the protest on Saturday. I, I've covered these so many times before. I feel very safe and very comfortable going down. I have riot gear. I wear a helmet. I have goggles for the pepper spray, the works. But what I wanted to bring with me on Saturday was a, a boom pole for my microphone. So instead of holding a microphone, I have a really, really long stick that keeps me seven feet away from who I'm interviewing. And it's been handy. I've been using it pretty much every day since early March, since the outbreak of coronavirus. The only reason I didn't bring it downtown Seattle was I didn't want to look like I had a weapon with me. I was really, really worried about the police thinking that I had a billy club or somebody thinking I had a long gun or, or something like that. Because, again, there's thousands of people there and it's an open carry state. Some people did have their AR-15 semi-automatic rifles with them. And I didn't want anybody to think I had a gun. So I had this debate with my editor of I need to socially distance while I interview people. So I need the boom pole. But I don't want to look like I have a weapon in the middle of a riot. So it was a, one of the weirdest protests I've ever covered because the entire time I'm thinking about not getting hit by rubber bullets and also making sure that the person next to me isn't breathing on me. It, it was unlike any other protest I've covered, especially with this, this kind of element hanging over us. I, I, we were talking about what to do. I also have a great fear, given that in this country, the population that has been the most susceptible to this disease are black people. 
because of of their history in this country and and i felt like here we are thousands of people fighting for their right to live and not be killed by police and yet because of these protests thousands more of them could die and and i don't know that that's what's going to happen but that is something that makes me really really scared <laughs> right now actually um particularly as it continues absolutely and it, it, we we felt particularly here in the northwest we we were seeing cases uh, start to start to flatten you know seattle was was commended nationally for bringing their case numbers down and a lot of that was attributed. People took it seriously. You know, one of the earliest cases was just up in Snohomish. You know, many businesses closed before other cities did here. I think now that a lot of people feel that it's behind us and there's a new new story. There's something new to be focused on. And it's not coronavirus. It is either protests against police or the opportunity to go smash some windows, destroy some retail storefronts. But... I, I worry about it. We've interviewed people, public health experts that, again, they're seeing footage of thousands of people in every major city, not just Seattle, but every, every city. Uh, tons of people just packed together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a real concern. Yeah. Ugh. Are you feeling hopeful about anything right now, Casey? Just to end on a better note, then uh, this is never going to end. It's really just stuck in our homes for the rest of our lives. You know, it, it was this was a rough weekend yeah. because I, I really haven't left my home to go do something like this in in months, uh, you know, so many of my interviews I'm doing now for work, I'm doing over the phone or Skype or, like I said, if I'm interviewing somebody, it's with a seven foot pole, and it felt so weird. Again, after three solid months of I've, I've been a very strict quarantiner, to then just be brushing shoulders with people in the street and to be down in the heart of downtown Seattle with thousands of people, and. Like I said, I've seen a lot of protests, but I've never seen all of downtown Seattle essentially destroyed. I've never every single sidewalk was covered in glass and garbage and graffiti. And I I was really sad to see what happened Saturday night because I knew that the message from the Black Lives Matter activists had been completely lost in the car fires and all of the property damage. Nobody was talking about Black Lives Matter. It was only about who these people were and destroying these buildings and causing all this chaos. I I left Saturday night feeling not hopeful at all. I I felt very depressed and I felt that only darker days were ahead based on how quickly the violence, it was just a matter of hours that all of the, everything was out of control, completely out of the police's control. Uh, I was not optimistic going into Sunday, but when I got back to Westlake, Instead of chants, instead of people chanting, these racist cops have got to go or prosecute the police, people were singing. People were having moments of silence for George Floyd and other black people who have been killed by police in America. It had a completely different tone. It was completely embodying the message that Black Lives Matter is trying to get out. And I was very, very completely taken aback, especially by everything I'd seen the night before. There was multiple times when they did march on Sunday before the flashbangs began again, that they would stop at street corners and everybody would take a knee. Now, thousands of people have been marching, chanting, beating drums. Suddenly, everybody drops to one knee and there's just silence. And all you see around you is a whole bunch of bicycle cops encircling them. I've seen social media posts, I think it was in New York, also in LA, where cops themselves, the one who are policing this protest, 
they were joining in, taking a knee, and actually shaking hands with protesters. That is the one thing that gives me hope because I was shocked to see those videos because I saw a lot of physical violence between people and police over the years and especially on Saturday night. And I don't imagine I'll ever see Seattle police taking a knee with protesters, but um, I, I was genuinely shocked when I saw how peaceful the Sunday protest could be and also seeing other cities have police taking a knee, shaking hands, trying to find some sort of common ground with the protesters. Well, we should leave it there. But I also want to say that one of my favorite things that's come out of this quarantine, this pandemic, if anything favorite can come from this period of time, is Rapbox Radio, your <laughs> oh, other geez. creation. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. Can I tell people about that? I don't, I don't know uh, what you're even talking about, Katie. I, I, I'm just uh, a newsman. I'm just I'm just, just doing the news. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'll never say no to new listeners. Okay, fair enough. So Casey, Casey has also <laughs> created a... Uh, I don't know, I guess we'll call it pirate radio for lack of a better term. Pirate radio station called Rapbox Radio comes on at random, although oftentimes on Tuesday and Friday. And um, I don't know, is there any way people can actually look for it if they want to listen? Yeah, if, if people have nothing, nothing better to do, absolutely. You can just Google Rapbox Radio. Oh, quit it. It is the best. You can Google Rapbox Radio, <laughs> and I, I would love to uh, to broadcast to your to your little Rapbox. Yeah, during quarantine, it's, it's it's been tough to not connect with music fans and all of the radio peeps, and so it's it's been a fun experiment. But if anybody wants to tune in, uh, yeah, Tuesday and Friday nights for sure, and you can just Google Rapbox Radio, and it's the top link. You just click that and... Roll the dice and tune in with Katie, and who I have to thank, by the way, who's provided some of the absolute coolest <laughs> fan art. We have official logo now, thanks to Katie. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a really fun experiment. <laughs> You're a brilliant host of uh, music radio. I just I know that you like to think of yourself as a newsman, and you are talented there as well, but I don't know. I think you might have another calling by the time this pandemic's over, which if indeed these protests are like a, a match to the uh, virus, it could be a while. You could be a full-on, like, DJ by the end of this. I, I built the rap box oh. thinking it would be a fun two-week experiment, and uh, here we are three months later. So Yes. Well, thank you so much, Casey, for taking the time to jump on the show, and I really hope that you don't catch this virus. Likewise. Uh, Katie, I love your show. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, same to you. Please stay sane and safe and healthy. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review. And please tell all your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife@mail.com, Or you can just find us at the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net. Or on all the social medias, just search for The Bittersweet Life.